Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey guys, you ready to let the dogs out? Hey, ready? Ready. Set? Set. One, two, three, go! You know my name, but who are you? Wesley. Here is what the truth is. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesley demands. <laughs> it's funny because he's fat. It's already been created in the human form. Shoot it! Don't presume to tell me what I will and will not do. You don't know me. Oh, what's your real name? Iris. Oh, Iris. Well, what's wrong with that? A proud daughter of these hills. What are we going to do? They insist on outside opinions. What kind of opinions? Well, your kind not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, let's face it, in your particular field, you're the top minds. Whatever, whatever. So the moral is, don't <laughs> do drugs. That's it. Hey. <laughs> so what do you think? They were great. They were all kind of relevant to us specifically, except for the don't do drugs part. That's yeah, but that's a classic. What up and welcome to or whatever movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Hello. And today we are recording in our mother's spare bedroom, which is actually Wesley's former bedroom because we are quarantined, self-quarantined for COVID-19. To clarify, we don't have coronavirus and I'm dubbing this Coronavirus Studios. Coronavirus Studios episode 001, Richard Jewell. I want to start this episode by saying Clint Eastwood is the coolest conservative there is. He's also probably the oldest director there is. And possibly the oldest conservative there is. And also possibly the oldest prolific director there is. So oldest, coolest, most prolific director. Make hay while the sun shines. Clint Eastwood is kind of hit and miss when it comes to his movies. He's had, as we've seen, some standout movies. Best Picture winners, Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby, among many others. But, like you said, extremely prolific. And they can't all be winners. If you don't know, he's a super loose and fast director. Very informal. uh, Rarely does more than, than a take or two, unless it's absolutely necessary. And so sometimes, finer details, nuance, goes by the wayside. Definitely not a lot of complicated camera moves. I don't know that he's shooting for uh, artistic credibility. I think he makes pictures, as he probably calls them. In honor of Clint Eastwood, let's go with talkies. (laughs) (laughs) So Again, a a reference to his extreme age. Richard Jewell. It seems like Clint Eastwood doesn't busy himself with the promotion uh, for his movies. Richard Jewell seems to be an exception. He's come out of the woodwork and sort of said, this is a story that I feel needs to be told. Richard Jewell is a hero, and I want to I want to present the true account of facts. Because if anyone is a victim to how they're perceived in popular culture, it's Richard Jewell. So is Richard Jewell a hero? 
I think that Richard Jewell was poised to be a hero. He is the everyman who took pride in his job and what he did. Certainly, he really wanted to be in the position he was and further in law enforcement than he was. But a guy who did his job and by all accounts saved a lot of people, but who also fit a very specific type in the FBI's minds. And thus became a victim? Well, these tragedies demand answers. And so the FBI was at a loss, and it was a full three months of intense scrutiny when Richard Jewell was their prime suspect. And apparently when he was exonerated, they took their time about publicly clearing his name. As a matter of fact, they cleared his name very privately at first and did not admit that he was completely cleared as a suspect for something like two years, three years. Well, he didn't receive the letter until a year later, at least a year later. Right. But there's a difference, obviously, between one of the most powerful branches of the government handing you or your attorney a letter and the FBI or the newspapers, the press, publicly acknowledging that he was not a suspect and thus not the bomber. So they never covered that in the movie. Did they actually clear his name publicly? The FBI did years later, but never, obviously never to the scope that they covered him initially when he was a suspect. Much hotter news. Hmm. And it helps that they had the actual suspect and culprit who admitted in custody at that time. Right. So this is based on a true story. Now, though I might have had context on the historical Richard Jewell and the bombings, like I came in pretty contextless. And for the first 15 minutes or so, was asking myself, like, what's going on? Sam Rockwell was like a small business advocate. And like, there was this rando security guard who obviously was our main character. And then he's like being all commando in his various jobs. I mean, I guess it all paid off, right? It, it all ended up being important. He was the only, Sam Rockwell was the only lawyer he knew and he ended up representing him. That school dean or whoever was like, you know, ended up basically setting him up. So do, how much should filmmakers who make films about true stories assume that audiences have context for their story? I know that whatever the movie pays off in the course of its arc for two hours, two and a half hours, three hours, you have to have those things pay off in a way that they don't come out of left field. Have to establish, and then we have to pay them off. And so in the case of Richard Jewell, when he was working with Bryant, we can see the sort of affable, simple kind of guy that he is. He's not in a position of any kind of power whatsoever. I think he was a janitor at the time, right? He was like an office supplies <clears throat> manager. Yeah. And then later on, when he has a little bit more power uh, on the campus of the college, we can see him flexing that muscle, maybe a, a just a bit too much. He's getting ahead of himself. It's not a crime. He shouldn't be issuing citations to people on the road outside of the campus. But he took his role seriously, whether he was an office supplies manager or a security guard. He was attentive to Brian's needs and wants and desires and an all-around good guy. And that may have been the case. Uh, on the camp, on the school campus as well, I think he just tended to overreach in his positions a little bit. But it said a lot about his character. Generally harmless, but definitely had some desire to be influential. He was a normal, fun-loving kind of guy who liked guns and liked the military and liked law enforcement, aspired to be in law enforcement. 
But when all that stuff comes under scrutiny, I think he was pretty uncomfortable and uh, insecure. Basically, the FBI needed somebody. They needed a suspect. And this guy was kind of weird and kind of off and didn't fit our typical hero profile. So he was victimized. I would suggest that the people needed someone as well. We demand answers in an age where we don't necessarily have to anymore because we acknowledge that there are bad people in the world. We have lots of unanswered questions for tragedies that happen almost daily in this day and age. But I think then, especially since Richard Jewell was an unlikely figure, he wasn't the heroic George Clooney looking type guy. Um, it was as easy to paint him um, a suspect as it was an unlikely hero. Right. Speaking of bad people in the world, I was wondering about John Hamm and Olivia Wilde's characters. Yes. And just thinking if they were just kind of jerks, like in general. Well, um, Richard Jewell faced criticism that I think really hurt it, both in awards uh, chances as well as box office performance because of the Olivia Wilde character. Kathy Scruggs. Kathy Scruggs w was an actual person. She died at the age of 42. And so Olivia Wilde taking up that role, a lot of criticism for the implication that she traded sexual favors for information from the FBI. Now, it helps that John Hamm's FBI agent was not an actual person. He was an amalgamation of, of several different agents. As we saw on the amazing documentary McMillions, many, many FBI agents um, are on a case at a given time. So it wasn't just him, but we can singularly personify the FBI as an entity in John Hamm. He's got that square jaw and that classic suit kind of look good, but we can't pin anything on him, right? He was the FBI at large, whereas the Olivia Wilde character, uh, Kathy Scruggs, was an actual person who's not around to defend herself. And it really, really bothered people. The idea that she would have traded sexual favors, which... And which, she was such a jerk. But that has no historical basis is the problem. So it, it's like slander. And a lot of people, maybe rightly, took, took up that position. Now, making people jerks in this movie where, in the same way that Richard Jewell was scapegoated, sometimes people in these movies in sort of clearing Richard's name and, and Clint Eastwood setting out and making it publicly known that he intended to show that Richard Jewell was an actual hero and not a terrorist. He needed the villains. It's easy enough to vilify the FBI, especially when you have agents that aren't actually people who are amalgamations of several other agents. And then you have the person, unfortunately, who passed away, who can't defend themselves. I've seen it happen before. One example that comes to mind is Apollo 13. Kevin Bacon who played Jack Swigert, who is the command module pilot. And it was sort of implied that Jack flipped the switch that stirred the coolant tanks that caused a fire that disabled Apollo 13 and jeopardized everyone's lives. And there was a lot of uh, tension between Jack Swigert and Fred Hayes, played by Bill Paxton. And at the end, it was announced that Jack Swigert did, uh, made, it, made it back safely, spoiler, and then was actually elected to Congress, but he died of cancer before he was able to take office. And it seemed convenient that the one person who, who wasn't around when Apollo 13 was released was kind of vilified in that role. He was the playboy, reckless kind of type who maybe flipped the wrong switch. And maybe if Kathy Scruggs isn't around, you can paint her in a less than positive light. And maybe that's what they did, and it bit him in the ass. So Kathy Scruggs attends the press conference and she's got these tears in her eyes and she's already done the walk, the phone booth walk, and she knows Richard Jewell couldn't have 
made that journey in the time allotted. Anyway, she goes to the press conference already having done her own research and realizing that she had maybe framed this guy or set this guy up for failure. And I think that she was remorseful or she felt bad or pity or something, which I'm guessing was supposed to represent some kind of arc for her character. But did she have any resolution beyond that? No, I don't think so. No redemption? As a matter of fact, we didn't see her directly. She didn't. She never apologized to Richard Jewell, I think, in the movie or in person. And it is worth noting that Olivia Wilde is an aware person. She wouldn't have taken this role sort of blindly. I think maybe she would have tracked that the controversy would be uh, would come into play at some point. She's she's a filmmaker herself. She's a director, but I think that re- that arc was essential for her to have played that character. I think maybe it was just downplayed in the final cut of the movie. Yes, I think absolutely she regretted having put Richard, in, you know, almost directly in this position single handedly. Now the difference is that her humanity certainly was intact, but at the time when this wasn't being investigated, he was an actual suspect, and he may very well have been the person responsible when she published the story. And sure, it's not, but she was trying to get ahead of, of a story that was huge breaking news. She ended up being wrong, and I think we all acknowledge that she realized that on her face. That doesn't mean she took the appropriate steps to make right her wrongs, specifically to Richard Jewell. I mean, she was just an aggressive journalist. And, you know, you can also imagine Kelly had mentioned that also it was, you know, 25 years ago, 24 years ago. And the fact that she may have faced much more pressure in a male-dominated field as a female journalist scrabbling in the dirt for the big story that would have gotten her ahead 24 years ago. It was kind of a different time for everybody. Kelly's always good for giving you those kinds of perspectives. Well, it's always something that she goes into trying to figure out, you know, where a movie goes awry, especially in a sort of male-centric movie directed by the most alpha male dude maybe since John Wayne. Clint Eastwood? Yeah. I mean, Clint Eastwood has had his sensitive side, but when you hear the name Clint Eastwood, you don't think Bridges of Madison County like I do. You think American Sniper? (laughs) I don't think American Sniper, no. Richard Jewell was a better movie than American Sniper. You think so? American Sniper was, I saw it and it was fine. It was, I think it was kind of unmemorable, but it was his highest grossing movie to date. Million Dollar Baby? Way, way surpassed Million Dollar Baby and Unforgiven. American Sniper, I think, is the kind of movie that people want from Clint Eastwood. Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Who was also in The Mule, who seemed to have a good rapport, and who actually took over A Star is Born from Clint Eastwood, who originally wanted to do it with Beyonce. That would have been hot. Nope. That would have been Jumping the Shark. (laughs) So, unlike John Hamm's FBI agent and Olivia Wilde's Kathy Scruggs, Sam Rockwell was our hero, or perhaps the other hero. I mean, he was the hero of the film, really. Well, I think he had the resources to be a hero, but I don't think that he had any special alignment. He didn't divine special things from Richard Jewell, right? He just believed in Richard Jewell. He believed in Richard Jewell because he saw what a simple, fundamentally good person he was. But even he was like, hey, what can I do for you? And was hesitant to be brought into, you know, this whole, the whole shitstorm. And he might have been on the wrong side of everything had because he did not know for sure. He he considered him a suspect to the extent that he had to ask him whether or not he was actually capable of doing those things. 
wasn't 100% convinced. He became his lawyer through circumstance because, frankly, he was the only lawyer that Richard Jewell knew, but he had to clear up his doubts first. And then once he decided on his own, then he represented someone he perceived to be innocent to the best of his abilities. I've loved Sam Rockwell ever since Matchstick Men, and he was great in Three Billboards. Although in this role, he kind of struck me as like a as like a modern day Steve Buscemi. <laughs> so what do you think? What's your take on men who wear dress shirts and ties with shorts? Um, there's a lot of 90s fashion, I think, in that movie. I think it was very telling. I think it was the birth of dude bro fashion, the weird frat boy, crap boy fashion, like flip flops and cargo shorts and dress shirts and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Sam Rockwell was definitely the star power anchor of this movie. It wasn't Olivia Wilde, and Clint Eastwood wasn't on screen, right? Because we had Paul Walter Hauser playing Richard Jewell, who I had never heard of before. Did you know that this was not Paul Walter Hauser's first movie about an Olympic-related crime? No. He was the actual suspect in the other movie. Which one? He was the guy that held the pipe that whacked Nancy Kerrigan in I, Tanya. No. Yep. So... Obviously, you have Sam Rockwell, and I think he was really good as a sort of dismissive smarmy lawyer um, who actually became kind of an earnest guy who uh, fights for what he believes in. But Paul Walter Hauser was a concern to me. I didn't see Richard Jewell in the theater. Um, maybe not a lot of people did, but he he looked the part. I have to say Clint Eastwood doesn't have a great track record for hiring untested actors. Think about Gran Torino, and I think that Gran Torino was overall... A pretty good movie, except the kids, all of the actual of the the kid actors in Gran Torino were intolerable to me. Terrible actors, and it showed every time that they were on screen. This is not a racist thing. This is simply the ability to spot really trained, well qualified actors as opposed to the laissez faire attitude of directing. We're like, we'll make it work. Don't worry about it. I have a good feeling about your kid, kind of thing. I was willing to let go that Paul Walter Hauser may have been a good Richard Jewell type, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was a good actor. And I have to say, he really, really impressed me. I thought, I watched a couple of interviews with him after the fact, and I think that despite being a sort of simple looking guy, which I think Richard Jewell was, I think that his nuanced sort of half a second behind, slow delivery, southern charm, um, not quite on the ball until you get him really riled up performance was restrained and calculated and really admirable. But I do think that that moment where Watson Bryant confronts him in mm -hmm. the kitchen is like, dude, you have to stand up for yourself. Right. Like basically was doing the emotional equivalent of like smacking his face and uh -huh. like trying to wake him up. And he and then he 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 lashed back. He was like, you don't think I know what he's saying when he says to cop to cop like right. that whole scene was so important to his character. Right. You want me to be this guy? I'm not this guy. I'm me. You're that guy. Right. Yeah. And it made him a hero in a very small sense. Like, I think for a lot of <laughs> for a lot of people who seem very evolved, they still can't accept who they are. And I felt like Richard Jewell did. Yeah. Richard Jewell was frustratingly complicit and complacent. And all. he dug himself in his own holes. Yeah. And and when already in the hole with an opportunity to climb out, just kept on digging, wouldn't let go of that shovel. It's like, how many times can you avoid uh, Brian staring at you 
giving you the death glare <laughs> and you just forge ahead, right? You're going to plow ahead saying dumb stuff. But yeah, I think that finally we were waiting for, for Richard to crack and to be a real human with emotions where he's not the scary, eerily sort of level headed in the face of all this adversity kind of guy. We needed for him to break down and we saw it in that confrontation with Brian in the kitchen. And of course, when he was ultimately exonerated and across the board, I think that even watching the actor as he is just the range from being the sort of humbled public servant type, ultimately fighting back against, of all people, his lawyers in close quarters, and then ultimately being exonerated and letting that flood of emotion come through. Really great job for this guy. Now, why do I heap accolades on someone who's otherwise unknown, who would typically be not remarkable? It's like a person came in to play the titular role who looked like him and was fine in the role, right? I think because of the same reason that Richard Jewell was vilified and the unlikely hero of all the person, if you had found, if there had been the law enforcement cop wannabe type who tucked his... uh, his fatigues into his combat boots every day and went around with his keys on the outside of his belt as a security guard and hands on hips and, you know, was a pain in the ass that people would have taken seriously. And he had wraparound sunglasses and had found the bomb and was on the, you know, he would be hailed as a hero immediately, right? He's doing it for America or whatever. Richard Jewell was unlikely. Why? Because he was a weird looking guy and he wasn't taken seriously by those kids who called him fat. Likewise, the cop, the cop said the same thing portrayed in the, in the, the media as a goofy looking Ken bone type of guy who you wouldn't <laughs> expect to be taken seriously. I'm telling you part of the problem of how Richard Jewell was perceived was because he was a big fat dude and there's in Southern. Yeah, and there, there's something. Well, he's in Atlanta. What are you going to do? But the point is, it it really affects how you're perceived and how you're taken seriously by other people. Yeah, this is the profiling I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I'm. I was happy that the movie touched on it because there's kind of no way getting around it. Getting around what? Just the idea that he was aware of how he was being profiled and how everyone regarded him. Oh, right. It, it, when, in, in his dream position of authority, whether as a cop or a security guard or whatever, still he wasn't taken seriously. When he confronted those kids, they laughed at him and called him fat. Like, how is this guy going to enforce any authority on us? Right. So Clint Eastwood, not, I wouldn't say he is the most nuanced filmmaker. He's a practical kind of guy. He rolls through them like the old studio systems that would churn out 50 movies a year and Casablanca was just one standout among oh, them. Man, such a good movie. Right. But it, it, that was a movie that was l- almost literally the movie of the week for the time. It just stands out as a classic when they were churning out each studio 50 movies a year. And so Clint Eastwood rolls with them. Some of them are hits. Some of them aren't. I think the most nuanced he got in this movie was presenting an alternate uh, storyline where Richard Jewell uh, relived the bombing in his head. We had mm. one one dream sequence. Other than that, we were presented everything on the plate. Uh, narratively, there were no tricks. Um, chronologically, everything seemed to be in order. And certainly there was a slow unfolding of understanding on everyone's parts. But I think just the agenda was to show that Richard Jewell couldn't possibly have done it and to examine the fallout from someone who wasn't really equipped in the media to defend himself against accusations hurled at him from his heroes. Also, we're giving a lot of credit to Clint Eastwood. I mean, he didn't write it, right? There was an article this was based on. Billy Ray wrote it. Yep. So, you know, a lot of these machinations are, were not necessarily 
up to Clint Eastwood. No, but I think the story was told in a way that it was compelling without the narrative tricks. Billy Ray's been around for a long time, written a lot of really good movies. I think this one, he presented Clint Eastwood with something clean, which adhered to the agenda. And uh, Clint Eastwood said, great, let's put it up. And they went with it. You kind of seem to like Richard Jewell. I liked Richard Jewell. I wouldn't want to hang out with that guy. I vastly admired what what, uh, Hauser did with the role. And I like that it was a Clint Eastwood movie that I can get behind. He hasn't done a lot that I've loved in recent years. Like I said, still the coolest ultra-conservative on the planet. You liked it enough to give it a what? I liked it enough to give it a high all right. A high all right. I think that Richard Jewell is a fine movie. We had some interesting things to talk about. However, it doesn't stand out in any way to make it a good movie. You think it's a boring movie? I think it's a boring movie. Being accurate is fine and one thing, but telling a compelling story formatted for the medium you know is important yeah but we didn't even touch on uh, academy award nominee kathy bates for her yeah. role that uh, that lost to laura dern yeah yeah but kathy bates um as richard jewell's mother as bobby jewell um she doesn't look anything like the mom who's a really tiny little lady kathy bates not exactly tiny but definitely emotive and had that concerned you know maternal sort of uh inexhaustible love for her child yeah and defended them throughout no she but, was great but she but it wasn't particularly noteworthy no it wasn't i mean i, I thought that she kathy bates is great she's and great she stood out and she knocked it out so we lend we give credence because we know she's the kathy bates and that she can be a, a nominated for awards like she's been many times before as did opposed, she win for misery i think she did as opposed to uh to Mr. Hauser, who wasn't really known to me at all and whose performance stood out in a way that I don't know that Kathy Bates has stood out just because we know that she's awesome. We know that Sam Rockwell is awesome and he's smart in a sort of cargo shorts with a dress shirt kind of way, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's got kind of scrawny little legs. Yeah, I think there was a lot of talent involved in making this movie. I don't know that the story jumped out to me as one that needed to be told unless you have an agenda and a really clear line of direction that you wanted to make a point and i think clint eastwood did that let's put it this way the story was going to be told and perhaps it was all just as well that clint eastwood did it yep right this is very much in his wheelhouse it was very americana very male centric in a way sort of anti-hero and that this guy um unwittingly was going to go up against the federal government all right well that's our discussion on richard jewell we'd love to hear from you give us a call 818 835-0473. Email us at or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening in on Richard Jewell, and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. 
I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid.